define me. I define my work at the father. I'm many things, you know. I'm many things. Yeah, I'm a convicted rapist. I'm 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 a I'm a hellraiser. I'm a father, a loving father. I'm a I'm a, you know I'm a semi good husband. You know what I mean? What? You know I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my. I was born poor. I ain't never had nothing. Man. I don't know how to act. All right. But the real thing is, I'm just I'm just here to be me. I don't care what uh, you, you think know what? I am or who or who anyone thinks I am. Um, at this stage of my life, but um, yeah, I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan. Yeah, that's who I am. I fully quit because of the the way that I was born. You know, I think he he was still out of it, and I think he didn't know what. I didn't think where he knew where he was at at that moment. So you're saying he quit? I think that he quit. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport, where sadly. You got a lot of grown men behaving like beta males around Sandy Ryan and Chantal Cameron. These are bleak times, really are bleak times. Uh, I don't want to burst their bubble, but tweeting support isn't a show of chivalry. It's actually the ultimate form of beta maleism, and they're not going to sleep with you. They're not going to slide in your DMs. They're not going to give you free tickets. They're not going to ask you for your phone number. They're not going to send you underwear. They're not going to do anything like that. They're just going to scroll on by. Because real men of character and strength don't get involved in the pettiness. But it's a bizarre situation we're in because you've got to really look at as boxing fans, what the hell do we want? You've got Sandy Ryan. Yeah. This time last week was what, 3-0? Was it 3-0? I think it was 3-0. Yeah? Savage body punch. It was stopping people. We were like, whoo. Good Lord Almighty. Wow. Okay. Now, Sandy Ryan goes from, you know, grafting her way up the levels. And then they offer her, is it Erica Farias? Who was 26-5. and five. That's 31 fights. 26 and Five. And people, you know, you know what boxing fans will say, yeah, well, she lost five times. She can't be that good. Go and look at who she lost to. Michaela Mayer, McCaskill twice, Delphine Pursoon, Cecilia Breakers. If you're ever gonna lose to someone or people, if you're gonna lose to five people, that's as high caliber a list of defeats as you could ever have. That's like a female Josecito Lopez. Well, they, nah, I would even go further. That's like a female Mikey Garcia right now. Do you see what I mean? There are levels to this. Farius did what? 230-something rounds? Sandy Ryan went 20? And you're surprised that she lost. I'm not. Because you can't buy experience. I don't know if Paul Reddy still manages her, but what a shocking decision that was to accept the fight. That was absolutely crazy. You can believe in someone's talent, and I often do to a fault. Like when you're emotionally attached to someone, you can make irrational decisions. That was one that needed calmer heads. That needed someone to look long-term and go, is this going to be good for Sandy in the next 18 months to two years? Yes or no? And I don't think that fight would have been. I think she would have benefited from building up her mental capacity to do the 10 rounds, right? Because 
something really interesting happens in boxing. When you come up the amateur system and they keep feeding you four rounders and six rounders and stuff, you've got enough mental capacity to cope with that. When you get to 10 rounds, you've probably done everything that you think is good in your arsenal and you become demoralized. And in those situations, experience will teach you to just go back to the one, two. Okay, one, two, back again, rebuild. Rebuild because now your one, two is hitting someone a bit more tired. You might get more joy and you rebuild your attacks like that. But you need to learn that. Like you need that experience. You need to have done the rounds. Ellie Scottney found this as well, I think. If you asked her honestly, she found that once she had to go that distance, she couldn't be creative anymore. It's hard to create openings when you've done everything you can. So actually in those situations, you just go back to what works. The one, two, the lead hook. Keep it really basic until the openings come. Then you get creative again. But you take, take years to learn that and to master that. That takes ages. And what Farius had was years. Farius had boxed, what, she's been a pro, what, 12, 13 years? Sandy Ryan, one year? That time matters. Those decision points matter. You've, there's, in terms of experience, there's an order of magnitude of at least 10 between the two. And I know people will point to Sandy Ryan. She must be on, what, 70, 80 amateur bouts? Like, she's seasoned as an amateur. But that's three rounds. There's a massive difference between three rounds and ten rounds. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like, like any sport, you know? In the World Cup, you can have three good games. But you need, like, six or seven good games to win the damn thing. And you're not always going to play well. And that's, that's what Sandy Ryan's having to learn. What do you do when it's not going your way? How can you wrest control of a fight back? Can you just go back to your basics? Can you go back to your fundamentals? This all takes time. And normally you make a mistake for two or three rounds and you get away with it because there's not much difference in the absolute abilities of the two fighters. Here, there was a massive difference because if you look at Farius's losses, there are no stoppages. Yeah? There are no stoppages, even against people like Delphine Pursoon, who gave Katie Taylor hell. Cecilia Brakus acknowledges one of the greatest female boxers of all time. McCaskill, who could give anyone hell on any given day. And has a win over Cecilia Brakus. And then Michaela Mayer, and you know what Michaela Mayer is about. So all of this stuff in aggregate says Farius was a hard fight. There were easier fights you could have taken. And forgive me when I say this, Chantel Cameron might have been an easier fight. Because there's familiarity there. There's familiarity, and that familiarity can breed unease between the two. And that can equalize a lot of things. But what it boils down to for me is, and this is what I mean about the Sandy Ryan thing exposing a lot about British boxing, we don't respect the toughness of other nations. Now, speaking as someone who, who spent part of their childhood in Zimbabwe, one of the things I've learned is this country isn't what people like to make it out. When I hear people say they grew up in poverty, I'm like, come on, man, really? What, what, what poverty exactly? You got free school meals, so you didn't starve. You got grants for your utility, so you're okay. Council put you in a house. Do you know what I mean? Like, you were okay. You didn't have to hustle to make ends meet. You chose to. This country's not an impoverished nation. 
it's not like growing up in Bukom in Ghana where, mate, you got to really graft. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, it's not Vostok in Russia. It's not, I don't know, um, Bogota. It's not Mexico City. I mean, it's not Delhi. This is a really soft country by international standards. We are soft as shit. And not only that, but if you look at the people who get selected, who get the amateur profile, they are soft as shit too. There are very few genuinely hard people in British boxing. As in they could show you their life and that looked hard. There are very few who are like that. You know, I'll go back to when I was young. I had a friend called Clarkie. Rest in peace, Clarkie. And his mum was a drug addict. I think she was a crackhead. So his domestic life was so chaotic. And I think his mum might have passed, actually. And all he did, he lived on the buses. Like, he wouldn't... He'd sleep on the 24-hour buses. And the bus drivers knew what he was up to. And they'd just leave him to it. And that was his life. He lived on the buses. Because his life was that messed up. You don't get guys like that in boxing very often in this country. You do in other countries, in the States, in South America, in the East, in Eastern Europe. Of course you do. In Africa, we don't have that. So these boxers like Sandy Ryan and Chantel Cameron and who Wumpty Wumpty, all of these guys, they're soft. These guys are all going to come through like your Rosie Eccles. They're soft. They are soft, intrinsically soft, because this country breeds soft people. That's why someone like Farius can come over here and have a go. The last generation of real tough people we produce is probably that Jonas, Katie Taylor era, Nicola Adams. They're probably the last people who really had to, to graft. Everyone else has just been part of a conveyor belt. Sandy Ryan joined GB. I mean, just follow the steps and you'll be okay. Chantal Cameron was part of that same thing as well. They're not intrinsically tough because they haven't had to go through it i don't care what story they try and tell me they haven't had to go through it they haven't had to go through running around barefoot they haven't had to go through like literally you know fighting and having to find ways to sell stuff and make money they haven't, they haven't had to go through that that thing that says i won't break and that's one of the problems in British boxing. The people who do go through that never get through the door of a boxing club because most coaches are too insecure to handle them. So when you see your guys and you go, why are these guys so soft? Why are guys like Mick Conlon so callow and just soft? This is why. The struggle's gone. So I wasn't surprised that Sandy Ryan lost, but I also give her credit for at least gambling because as boxing fans what frustrates us the most is when people just fight mediocre opposition for the first 10 fights and we're like why are we watching this you're far better than that so sandy ryan gives you the step up and people are laughing at the fact that she lost they're making fun of her ring costume they're making fun of how she is in general it's crazy and then chantal cameron jumps in and i'm like if ever someone should have sympathy for Sandy Ryan. It should be Chantal Cameron. How are you talking to her as if she's a rival? When you're four years ahead of her in terms of your pro career. 
15. What, what's Chantal Cameron? 15 and 0. Sandy Ryan's what? 3 and 1? At some point, they'll fight each other. Like I said, I don't think there's much between them in terms of like raw ability, but the gap is in experience. And that's what you need to close down. But to see those guys have a public spat, Clifton Mitchell jumps in. And I understand why Clifton would jump in because he's trying to keep the money in his fighter. So he has to jump in and defend it. No one else had to, by the way. Um, you know, Jeffrey Reed from Stockton on Tees did not need to pipe up. Like, they don't know who you are. You know, Susie Smith from Rochester. Well done. You said something. Ooh, you stuck the knife in. Well done. Have a medal. For what, though? You're really going to chastise a woman who said, I'm going to take on someone far more experienced than me. I'm going to take on a woman who, when she started boxing professionally, I was a junior. Fighting people like Shona Whitwell or whatnot, whatever it was she was doing. You're really going to give her a hard time. Here's the problem with that. What is my incentive to take a risk? If I'm managing a fighter now, if I'm managing a kid like, let's see, one of the Azim brothers, why am I going to take a risk? If I'm managing Fabio Wardy, why am I going to take a risk? Knowing that I can get the same money for not taking a risk and at least then the fans won't be slaughtering me and trying to turn me into a meme. So as boxing fans, you've got to have this thing that says, we're going to reward you for taking a risk, win, lose or draw. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. And you're going to struggle because people just ain't going to take the risk. It's going to take your money and not give you anything back. So I'm saying to you, if you're a real boxing fan and you see this kind of abuse happen, shut it down. Block the people who do it. Because we should be rewarding people for taking risks. Chantal Cameron hasn't taken a risk in her 15 fights. And I don't think that's her fault. I think she would fight Katie Taylor. I think she'd fight Jonas. I think Chantal Cameron would fight all of them. I don't necessarily think they all want to fight her. So she, she should understand how frustrating this game is. Yet, no. Yet we all engage in ways that don't do anything for the sport, that don't encourage people to want to get involved because there's a lot of toxicity, especially from the men towards the women. Because it's weird, isn't it? They almost see themselves as, oh, I've got a protector, and if I do, she'll like me and she'll follow me, then I can get in those DMs, and then I'm, I'm in, I'm good. It doesn't work that way. You're someone on Twitter, man. <laughs> You're someone on Twitter, and we're all living in the real world. And in that real world in which we all inhabit, we don't see you. So no, you're not going to get that love. Yeah? All you need to do is support anyone that takes a risk. Anyone that puts it on the line and says, I'm, I'm prepared to be uncomfortable even though I don't have to be. And I'm going to keep doing this because I care about the legacy. And if I care about the legacy, the fans will care about me. That's the important thing in boxing. And I'm going to give you an example of someone who cares about legacy. Dan Aziz. Dan Aziz, on March 26th, is going to defend his British title against Matthew Tinker. Now, I had to check the paperwork, man. Like, I had to check because I was like, hold on. Matthew Tinker, I would swear he's got an Irish passport and he's got an American green card. He might even have American citizenship now. Don't quote me on that, but I have a feeling he might do. 
and he's fighting for the British title. I had to check, and it turns out he was actually born in, in England. So I, I, which I was like, huh? Okay. So if you haven't really followed my podcast journey, Matthew Tinker's a name that's new to you, definitely from, from this perspective, but let me just give some context to understand who Matthew Tinker is. In the golden age, and I call this a golden age of 81 kilo amateur boxing, which is between 2014 and 2016, you had a group of kids in London who were elite and they were tough. They were tough. And when you hear the names, you'll understand what I mean. You had Craig Richards, you had Joshua Boatze, Umar Sadiq, Andre Sterling, Danny Dignam. Um... You even had guys who were coming through at the time, like Sharif Musa. Uh, who else was at 81 at that point? Anthony Yard was at 81 as well. Um, you look outside of London, Lyndon Arthur, Thomas Whitaker Hart, uh, Dean Lang, the, Sebastian Eubank, don't forget him. You had all of these names, rest in peace, Seb Eubank. You had all of these names, and Matthew Tinker was one of those names right in the mix. Ashley Vanzi, let's not forget him either. And Matthew Tinker fought everybody, fought Dan Aziz in the amateurs, fought Andre Sterling in the amateurs, fought everybody in the amateurs, won some, lost some, went to Ireland, fought guys like Joe Ward. He fought the best. For a guy who didn't go to the Olympics, the list of names on his record as an amateur is incredible. And so he went off to America, it's got to be about five years ago, and he said he was done with boxing. So we're like, ah, all right, mate, you, you did your thing. Kudos to you. And when he was out there, he got the itch. He joined the New York, New York Athletic Club. And he had a couple of runs at the Golden Gloves. He did well. He did really well, considering the guy had a full-time job. I think he did construction recruitment. Full-time job, fiancé, all of that sort of stuff. And then, based on that, he decides to turn pro. So now Matthew Tinker's boxed eight times in America. He's 8-0. And he comes over here to fight for the British title. And I think it's a beautiful little story that two guys who fought in the amateurs are about to fight in the pros. Now, I haven't seen enough of Matthew Tinkerbox as a pro to know how good he is, but I know how good Dan is. And Dan's a different proposition now to who he was then. And I think the 12 rounds probably favors Dan because of that physicality that I've been talking about for the last couple of episodes. Dan's got that physicality. I think Matt's got the skill. And he's got the tenacity, but I don't know if he's got that raw physicality. Because remember, he still has a day job. So that's going to be interesting to, to see going forward. You know, how does that work out? Because he, he was training out in Miami. Might have been training with Glenn Johnson, actually. But that's, that's the kind of fight I'm loving Sky for right now. Because it's something that has meaning between the two protagonists. Dan Aziz and Matthew Tinker will look at each other and they will know. This ain't the first time we've seen each other like this. Are there any nagging demons in Dan Aziz? I don't think that are. Are there, any, are there any nagging demons in Matthew Tinker? I don't think there are. These are two guys who are put in that basket that is called gentlemen. Like, gentlemen. Absolute class acts. No one's got a bad word to say about them in the sport. And I'm going to look forward to that fight on March 26th because that's going to be exactly what we need as boxing fans. And these are two guys who who won't need to go looking for each other. But credit where credit's due. Like, Dan Aziz has shown, you know, I'm, I'll take these risks. 
I'll take these risks and I'll entertain the fans. They're the two things you know with Dan. Because he genuinely believes he's the best light heavyweight in this country. And he just wants to prove that first. Before he starts talking about guys like Bivol and whatnot. No, he wants to deal with the guys in this country first. And I think as a British champion, that's the right attitude to have. Because if he wins this, two more fights, and he gets to keep the Lonsdale belt outright. And I know that would mean a lot to Dan. Because like we said, he's, he's old school. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, I think it turns out now that Conor Marsden is going to fight one of the Azim brothers. And, uh, man, I can't believe that. Just like we were saying about Sandy Ryan before, like, is, is your fourth fight really the place you want to be taking risks? Well, clearly Shane sees something. I don't, now, I don't know if those guys have spied each other in the past. They're not the same generation. But if, if not, I, I think Conor Marsden's a really tough out. I really, really do. Because if people understand that Conor Marsden is six foot, six foot one, and he boxes at lightweight. But he might, is he going up for this one? I don't know. But just the fact that he's six foot one and he can dig. Yeah, he's, he's a leverage puncher. So he uses the full length of that lever to, to really crack. And like I've seen him put people down with those 12 ounce amateur gloves. There are people that can speak more, eloquent than, more eloquently than me about Conor Marsden. What I can say from what I've seen is he's a nightmare for everybody. Because he's big, he's skilled, and he's mobile. The only thing that could hammer him is that he hasn't been as active as he probably deserves to be. But now he's on Sky, he gets a platform, and hopefully the fans will get behind him. Because he's a nice guy, quiet guy. But, he's a, yeah, he's a top guy. And this is another example of Sky delivering for the fans, I think. These are the kind of fights we wanted to see. You know, give us enough jeopardy to get excited. And build a decent story around it. So when they talk, talk about Dan Aziz, it's like, well, these guys will come full circle. Matthew Tinker can talk about, I never thought I'd be boxing on Sky. Dan Aziz is like, I, did, I didn't think I'd be seeing Matt Tinker again after he moved to America. But now that I have, I'll shake his hand and say, you know, welcome back. And then we'll get down to business. So all of this is, I mean, it's all putting a smile on my face. And the thing that people don't understand as well is, because Matthew Tinker boxed for Dale Youth, He's known in West London. So he'll have a lot of support. He'll have a lot of that Irish support. That sort of John O'Donnell support is linked to Matthew Tinker as well. So that will follow him through to Wembley. So that's going to be a good, that's genuinely going to be a good atmosphere because you're going to have that sort of partisan crowd. I'm looking, genuinely looking forward to this. Um, I need to get my tickets sorted for, for the 26th. But, but the other things I wanted to touch on, it, it's... We're in a good space boxing-wise. I think the last few weeks have just been really, really good. I think every promoter's delivered. The Frank show on Friday was shit. But, you know, Frank's going to give us Fury versus White. So we have to kind of, you know, we'll cut him some slack. But Eddie's delivered. Sky and Boxer are delivering. As a fan, there's nothing to moan about. We should just be happy. Honestly, we should just be happy and stop being toxic on Twitter. I was talking to one of the young guys that messages me on Twitter. And, you know, he was, he was upset because he was getting a hard time. And I said to him, block him. It's what I do. The second you project energy towards me that I don't like, I just block you. 
You have to understand that I do a podcast. You either like it or you don't. I don't do this so that I become a public utility. If you've got a question, I have to answer. No, I really don't. I don't have to answer shit, to be honest with you. Sometimes I choose to. If I find the question interesting, I'll answer it. If I don't, I'll, I'll just keep it moving. I won't even slag you off. I'll keep it moving. If I believe you're being disrespectful towards me, I'll just block you. And if that blocked chain thing still works on Google Chrome, I'll block you and everyone that follows you because I don't have time. I genuinely don't have time. I sit here for God knows how long recording an episode and then I've got to get on with my life. I don't have time to be on Twitter for four hours trying to defend myself to people who I don't even know. And I, I say this to all of you guys, but if you want to reclaim your happiness, block people who send the wrong energy away. Just block them. Don't try and correct them. Don't even debate them. Just block them. They're not that important to you. you know, that would be my counsel. And I, and I say it to anyone, whether you're a boxer, whether you're a fan, as soon as someone sends energy away you don't like, just block them. You know, keep your timeline as a happy place. Because, like I said, we're in a good place in boxing right now. And it looks like it's only going to get better. But let me see. I don't want to talk for too long today because I've hit you guys. I mean, I've hit you guys in the chest with like two in the space of like 24 hours. But I want to go to a comment that David Price of all people made. So he did his interview with Tris Dixon for BT Sport. And he was talking about Joshua versus Usyk. And what David Price said was, the guy that beats Usyk will not be trained in the classic British style. He called it the British Olympic style. It's not, it's just fish and chip style. That's what it really is. It's just fish and chip training. Stand bolt upright, throw a one-two, step somewhere, anywhere, it doesn't matter. Throw another one-two. If that doesn't work, throw a double jab right hand. Make sure your hands stay right by your cheekbones. Now, if you want to be super flashy, you're going to hop in and out. You're going to be super duper flashy. You're just going to put your lead hand in their face. You know, just sort of pendulum it up and down as if you know what you're doing. And that's what most people are taught. Like Most people are taught that. And those guardrails are so tight that they don't even encourage improvisation. So you imagine you take up boxing and from 11 to about 18, 19, that is all you're taught. You're not allowed to do anything else. They don't allow you to. Yeah. So you get to 18 with that fish and chip style. Now you're like, how am I going to be different to everyone else if I've been taught the same way? And you're not. Right. Because in British boxing, there are two kinds of boxers. They're the fish and chip guys. Bolt upright, hop in, hop out. Then they're the guys who can take a shot and just become sluggers. And they go, I don't even like this fish and chip style. I don't have anything else. So it's back to the pub car park tactics. And Lee Wood showed that can work. Carl Frott showed for a long time that can work. A lot of guys have shown that can work. It's a rare boxer who has the the multi-dimensional capability that a James DeGale had at his peak. It's a rare boxer who has that sort of creativity that Prince Nassim had. It's a rare boxer who can actually combine those two, like Ryan Rhodes did, or like Kell Brook did. These are rare fighters in British boxing, and I don't see trainers doing anything like that. Like, I was watching 
Watch my friend Andre Sterling train. I think he trains with Ian Andrews. And he's doing, he's doing all of these routines. I'm like, Andre, you ain't even moving your head. You're not thinking about where your head is while you're doing all of this. You don't even think about where your feet are. You just focus on hitting the mitts. And I'm looking at the trainer going, but you're not correcting this. And no one has ever corrected that on Andre. Andre has never been taught to box to his best attributes. Not even in the amateurs. Like, we don't, we don't encourage kids to solve the problems themselves. The only person I've seen do that as a trainer is Richard Towers. Like, if you see the kids in Richard Towers' gym, man, it's just like, it's like Hogwarts, man. Magicians everywhere. They're, they're, they're doing stuff. They're experimenting. And Rich will correct it if it's wrong. But outside of that, he'll let it go. Because that's when you learn to be unique. That's when you learn to be unorthodox, as they say, when you're young. You know, I, I watch Terence Crawford, not Terence Crawford, but I do watch him, we'll come on to him. I watch Errol Spence a lot. And when you see what Errol Spence does, what is it normally? It's a jab. Then it's a double jab into that left to the body. Then there's a right hook to the body or a right hook to the head, which is then followed by a left over the top, then back down to the body again. And he does that. And it looks so basic. And you go, well, why doesn't anyone else do it? It's because he's done it since he was young. He's perfected, he's perfected everything around that so he makes it look easy. You know, Derek James has been instrumental in that, yeah. That's the art of good training. And the youngsters kind of get it now. They get that their trainers aren't that good. That's why you see them hopping from gym to gym to gym. But that almost exacerbates the problem. Because now you're getting little percentages of different things that you can't knit together. You know, we, we don't have the coaching talent to make these guys any good. We don't have it in this country. The coaches at GB, in my eyes, mediocre. But they do it full time, so I'd expect you to be halfway decent if you do something full time. But not good. Not good at spotting talent, not good at developing talent, just good at making you fit and strong. That's it. That's it. That's why these guys don't, they don't translate well into the pros because what we don't do is we don't teach them how to solve problems. Professional boxing is all about solving problems. Sandy Ryan couldn't solve problems in that ring. Mick Conlon couldn't solve problems in that ring. You know who could solve problems? Lee Wood. You know who could solve problems? Farias. They could solve problems and they solved problems. But look at the route that they've had to take to go to get to that point. That's a long, hard road they've had to take. But I did find it interesting that David Price said, Joshua can never beat Usyk because no one can outbox Usyk with that Olympic style. It will take someone who's a bit out of the box to surprise Alexander Usyk. And I think that's true. But I actually think the solution is so much simpler than that. And I said the same thing about Lomachenko well before the Teofimo fight. I said... As long as you can just stop them moving to their right-hand side, there's nothing they can really do. That, that space to their right-hand side is where they do the most damage. If you shut that space off and you can aggressively go after that space, then they're fearful of your backhand if you're an orthodox fighter. 
And that's all you need to do. It's so simple. When you control that territory, you force them into certain tactical choices. If you decide not to control that territory and you give them free reign, they can do anything they want. But you don't learn that stuff unless you get to experiment. And you need to experiment when you're young and your brain is malleable. We don't do that in this country. It's you know, what, what do most coaches say? My way or the highway. If you're on a box this way, you can go to another gym where you will. Where, you, where they'll let you do what you want. And, I, and until we fix that, we're never going to produce high quality professional boxers. We're just not going to do it. We're going to keep getting away with the fact that you can earn a lot of money here. That's the only reason our guys have the profile they do. You can make a lot of money here so people will come over. But we're not that good. We don't get belts and keep them. We don't have the ability to do so. We don't have the ability to be undisputed. A few guys do, like Tyson Fury, who can think beyond the conventional. But there ain't many of them around. And the thing is, there could be. It's not that hard. We just choose not to. I think that's probably a useful point to end. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't think I'd make it to Monday Mass, but luckily I did, and I'm grateful now. I'm going to ask you guys: Can I have a few days off to rest? <laughs> when I'll sign up. Take care. Bye. Yo, Kay, I've been feeling them new songs. It's been too long. Got proper vision. I'm getting my Tony Cruz on. Don't give a fuck what you're lifting. I still be too strong. Every rapper say they're the best. So tell me who's wrong. Cause I ain't playing, bro. I mean it when I say that. I come from the city. A king ain't double and laid black. Find someone better. That's some needle in a haystack. I got legendary status. I've been doing it from way back. To be honest, they should be paying homage. They all owe me. If money's involved, I'm on it. You already know me. That's why I'm on the road while my girl saying she's lonely. I don't spend enough time, so I went and bought her a rolling. Been watching the game. All I see is these phonies Talking like they got beef They just talking baloney From SP Watch how you address me Things will get messy Shots will have you diving like a rollie Couldn't try out the game without this No tweets, no talk, no announcements